Welcome to episode three of the Other Side Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Gruber, as always, and I'm here with a concerned citizen as well as a, a sort of an individual who has experience with data management and internet security, Drew Agarwal. Well, uh, thank you for bringing me here, Lance. And it is, like you said, I am just a citizen, and I've just had a lot of worries on how the government views our security on the internet and how companies uh, use the data that they gather on us and what they do with it. Okay, okay, yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. Um, to provide a little bit of context here, um, you know, we have three very clear topics we want to talk about. We want to talk about uh, sort of social media companies, we want to talk about the ISPs, which are the internet ser- service providers. We'll be calling them ISPs throughout this, and uh, sort of the government and its role as well. Uh, so we got three very clear topics here. We're going to try and cut between each topic, making sure it's clear and organized. So, starting it off here, social media, what do you think uh, the role... So- what do you think is the role social media should really have on the internet um, when, in terms of controlling people's information and you know selling the data? Well, first of all, I think we need to be clear on what we think the role of social media is in general. I believe that, personally, social media should be a way of sharing information and connecting with people that you may know in life or just online. But social media has recently evolved to the point where Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, if you have any of those apps on your phone, they are mining data from your phone. They do go through your stores and they do find the pictures that you take. They do track your location and they use that information to create the advertisements that you see. So when you st- so when you uh, walk to the grocery store, they 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 know that you walk to the grocery store, and I frankly find that very concerning. Okay. Okay. Um, so I guess to sort of. Uh... It's a big role in this show, and I guess I, I didn't completely outline this. I'm assuming that you've uh, understood the purpose of the few previous episodes here, but we're talking about counter-arguments here. Um, that's the whole point of the show. So mm-hmm. to start this off here, the role that social media plays, it does, I can't disagree with the fact that it mines a lot of data and it sort of mm-hmm. sells that information. Um, but in comparison to you know previous um, infrastructure that's been put in place in terms of communication, normally you have to pay money to use something, you know, they put a lot of money, resources into creating this product, as well as starting it out the massive risk that was involved. And it's still an entirely free product in terms of social media websites that is hosted for so, so, so many people um, that, you know, they have to make profit off the business and their goal as a company is to maximize profits. So I guess my question is, um, is it the fault of the company itself for these practices? Of course, you're right. They are a company and they're offering a free product. And obviously, a company needs to make money and selling a free product, you don't garner any profit from that. So they do have to do advertisements. I completely understand that. However, I do not believe it is in their right to use the data, to, to, to take the data from us as a person and as people and then sell that data to advertisers. I believe that the advertisement that should be done should be random. While targeted advertising may uh, engross you into products you, you could be interested in, or it could uh, increase profits for the company, what gives them the right to take the data, take our personal data, uh, and sell it to other companies? Well, I guess what gives them the right is you gave them permission. You posted something on a website. Exactly, but I find it, like I said earlier, I just, I don't, even though we did sign on to that contract, I don't believe that should have been in the contract in the first place. I see. Data is like any other resource we have today right mm-hmm. it's like money it's like oil it's 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 like anything in this in today's day and age in the information age data can be just as dangerous as a nuclear weapon mm-hmm. and i find that if companies are taking our data it's concerning as to what they'll do with it because data can ruin people's lives and it can build people's lives mm-hmm. so what are 
my concern is why do they need the data in the first place? Couldn't they just you couldn't the contract just be solely based on random advertising? Why must they take the data in the first place? Right. Yeah. That that makes sense. Um, well, I guess big thing that I see in terms of, uh, I guess a big, I think a big part of this conversation is about the relationship between the companies and the consumers and sort of who's at fault. And um, I think the general consensus that, or the general idea that you're promoting right now is you're sort of saying that it's the companies taking advantage of the people um, to put them in a situation they don't really want to be in. And, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing that you can prove or disprove really quantitatively, mm-hmm. but I don't know, have you heard of uh, like Bo Burnham? Oh, of course. Yeah, well, he is a great, uh, he, he's done a few shows, a few comedy shows, but there was a good, um, he, he talked about social media and its impact on people um, because, you know, he's an entertainer and he likes to think of things in terms of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a really good idea, like a quote here talking about like how he views uh, social media as the market's answer to a generation that demanded to perform. So the market said here, perform. And I guess I'm wondering sort of like, within that context, do you think it's possible that it's actually the other way around where the consumers are the ones who demanded this specific system and that it was the only one that they would accept and that's why it succeeded when you know in the beginning of the internet there were tons of different ways that you could share information and this was the method it might suck but this is the one that people wanted the way that i see it is i think that bo burner was right in the sense that when people want a commodity the market will eventually come to it right people wanted more people want more advanced cell phones there you go now you have smartphones right mm-hmm. So, but then, if, we're, if I'm using the same metaphor here, with smartphones, right? Every, every day you see companies pushing out new smartphones, smaller bezels, you know, popping out cameras, 3D or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But did we really need it, is that point. Like, the iPhone 7, right? Massive bezels. Still, do, still does the job perfectly well, right? Yeah. You don't need a completely bezel-less phone or a phone with a little hole punch or a notch to do its job really well. And I guess this translates to social media too, because yes, we demanded a platform where we could perform, we could do what we wanted, say what we wanted, showcase our skills and our, our talents, right? Mm-hmm. But then, at some point, it I think the market began pushing back. You know, we pushed the market for a product, and the market received. But now the market's telling us this is what you're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, like you like you just said, in the in the early internet, they were dozens if not hundreds of different ways for you to share information and now i would argue it's been whittled down to maybe four or five major platforms mm-hmm. many of which are massive companies or even have a parent company behind it like everybody sh- people share pictures and stories on instagram all the time right but instagram is owned by facebook and right. facebook's already the largest social media company in the world right snapchat Right, they're a huge social media company, and they and they mine data. They and you know they're a multi-billion-dollar company now. And of course, there are the I, and YouTube, and those are four big platforms that people uh, want to share information on. YouTube is owned by Google, the second largest company in the world. So, I think the concern is really just we wanted something, the market gave it to us, but now we're being told this is what you're going to get, and we don't really have a say in that. Hmm. I see. I see. Well, I think uh, bringing up different specific examples of social media is interesting. I think um, maybe talking about the purpose that it holds. We don't have too much time, or maybe like one more point. Um, mm-hmm. But the purpose specifically that um, social media websites like uh, YouTube, for example, hold with their recommendation systems. Um, you know, they uh, if they have so much information on you and what you search and what you look for, um, they use that to benefit the consumer. 
then um, in what way is it really a negative, especially if you have the option in a lot of these cases to turn it off. You know, you can always turn off personalized recommendations, personalized mm -hmm. ads. Uh, by default, it's turned on, but you know, with coming time here, people have realized, okay, people are mad about it. Why don't we change that? Um, so like, why, I guess, do you view that as a problem considering the clear option the consumer has to just disable these features that also feel like they benefit the consumer in a lot of ways? So I don't think it's the product in question. The YouTube recommendation section, I will be honest, has helped me find some videos that have really interested me. But at the same time, like you mentioned, you can turn it off, but that won't stop the data practices. And secondly, the way that I, if I were to make a revamped system of the whole YouTube recommendation list, I wouldn't do it based upon what you've searched or what you've previously watched, but rather the video you're watching now and use tags. Similar to how Steam tags its games, with, and you can search by tags, by genre, you know, if you want to do multiplayer, role-playing, mm -hmm. etc. I believe that YouTube videos can be should be tagged, and then, you can, and then based on the tags that that video contains, the recommendation list will pop up. And just for reference, everybody, Steam is a, uh, Steam, what he referenced here, it's a website that sells the longest, or largest uh, PC retailer for video games online. Um, you know, by far the largest, it sells almost all of them nowadays. Um, so, anyways, I think it's a pretty good conclusion here, we can move on. Uh, moving on to ISPs, companies themselves that are actually transferring the data from one place to another. You know, this isn't mm -hmm. about uh, social media and what information is being used for or what's being sent where, but the actual transfer of the information and who should have control over it. I guess we may as well just start very generally. Like, what do you think about that? Um, where do you think they should uh, play in this? Well, I'd say that ISPs are some of the most, most notorious uh, data collectors in the world. You know, it doesn't matter if you have Verizon, Comcast, AT&T, it doesn't matter. But every time you type in something online, they you put it in your phone, it goes through Verizon, AT&T, whatever, goes to, goes to whatever site you're searching on, and then goes back through that same service to you. So basically, they get access to information both ways. And that means that they have the largest repository of information. And I don't think they use it in algorithms as much as social media companies do, but I think that ISPs are more notorious for selling that information to other companies. Mm -hmm. I guess... Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I think um, in my experience and what I've been looking at, it feels more like uh, like ISPs, they they sell, they sell the information somewhat, but I think really the organization and structure is more on the social media websites. Um, and ISPs, from what I've seen, they, they really, they put their time and energy into actually controlling what is being transferred and not yeah. transferred. So sort of like they have a lot of, they have a long history of... Um, censorship? Censorship, yes. Blocking websites or s slowing down certain traffic. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd say that the whole idea of censorship and slowing down traffic also touches on net neutrality, which is an entirely other subject that I won't go into. Mm -hmm. But my view on it is censorship is it's going to exist, no matter which country you live in. You can live in the quote-unquote freest country in the world, but unless it, but freedom is really, the most free country in the world is really a country in anarchy, mm -hmm. let's be honest. Yeah, right. right. And... Really, and every country is going to have some censorship. I'd say the country most known for censorship in today's world is China, mm -hmm. especially with their whole Great Firewall. And I mean, even VPNs in China are blocked now. So, what did that say, right? And also, internet providers—they're the ones perpetuating this. The Chinese government can say, "We don't want you to send to send this information to the people," and they will agree. Well, the government is the one who makes the rules in this case, but the ISPs enforce it. So then is it the ISP's responsibility to say, no, we're not going to do this? 
I believe that the ISP, they are a corporation and they should be beholden to the state in which they are acting, right? So if, if the American government were to one day say to every single internet service provider, we want you to block YouTube, right? Sure, I, gar- I, I guarantee you there would be a huge outcry, not only publicly, but within the ISPs as well. But if they wish to continue operating in the, in, this, in the country, they would need to follow the rules because if they don't, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And that would just lead to more, and that would just lead to their downfall. And keep in mind, they are a corporation. Their goal is to stay alive and make money. Right, right. So you're sure you're saying they don't have a choice in this matter? Though. I don't think they have much of a choice in what websites are blocked. I mean, I've, personally, I feel like there are some base websites and some base ideas that the government will tell them not to search. But there, there is a bit of a gray area if I think that's what you're asking about. In, in that gray area, each corporation has, the, has sort of their own discretion in deciding, well, you know what, maybe this follows the law, maybe this doesn't. Let's mm-hmm. let this one slip or let's let this one go through. Right. You know? Yeah. I think that's, is, I'm pretty sure that's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, I'm just trying to sort of understand where you think, because there's definitely a problem at hand here with censorship, um, and where you think we should be making a change now, because he's, and I think we've just gone over sort of um, who has the power to make that change and where the change has to be made, but um, you know, there's still sort of the issue of uh, you know, passivity, you know, like if you have the ISP companies and they say, well, you know, our hands are tied, we have to follow the, uh, mm-hmm. the countries, well, when it comes down to it, there's like three companies that own pretty much all of like the internet. Oh, of course. Um, so theoretically, they aren't really in that vulnerable position. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they really, really, really wanted to they do could, something. They could force the change themselves. They don't yeah. need to listen to the, to the country. And at the same time, is that something that's good or bad for us? Because, you know, we're talking about right now how countries are sort of uh, twisting the arm of ISPs to sort of like censor stuff. But um, I'd argue that at the same time it goes the other way where you say there's very... Yeah. Um, bad practices going forward nowadays and awful customer service for one just because of of how much control they have yeah so I think what you're saying is uh, with the government twisting the ISP's arm you're saying that the ISP's could in turn twist the government's arm due to the sheer amount of power they have Mm -hmm. over that industry and frankly you're right and that is a very very dangerous thing because the moment that a corporation doesn't have to listen to a government is the day that that the whole idea of a nation falls Mm -hmm. right You've, I'm sure you've watched a lot of movies or read a lot of books that involve the future, and so many of them involve the idea of corporations. The idea of the country is dead, and they all are, um, they're all talking about certain conglomerates and corporations and companies, you know, traversing space. But, mm-hmm. and I think that's a very dangerous thing, and that's also completely off topic. But yeah. it's uh, it's dangerous, and I believe that when a company has the the ability to do that, whether that comes from the money, their power over the industry, or the data they have on you, then it's dangerous because, data, like I said before, data is a commodity and it can be used as a weapon. Right, so right. all the data that these ISPs collect, whether it be on the individual or the government, can be used to twist the arm, and the precedent that that sets is unthinkable. Right, right. Well, that's, that's a great transition into sort of the government's role now. Um, you've talked about this. Um, but sort of the power that the government should or should not have over the internet, um, especially considering um, the idea that data is really a weapon in this current day and age. Hmm. Like, what do you think, um, like, to what extent should the government have power? Well, I think we have to keep in mind that governments vary. I think those who live in the U.S., for, for one example, are blessed to have a, rep- a democratic republic. 
where we elect our officials to make the laws. But in many countries, they don't have that right. It's a it's a dictatorship, or the corruption is so rampant that the people don't really don't have a say, despite the government claiming it's a democratic process. And really, you you can't really make decisions then because you can't. What I mean is you can't make a blanket decision. You can't say all governments have this because there are some governments that should have the right to do it and others that don't, mm-hmm. right? But if, in response to your question, I believe that government should should have the right to the personal data only if told so by a judicial system. Because the judicial system in pretty much any government is supposed to keep that government accountable. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be sort of the internal affairs, as it were. And in the police force, internal internal affairs, they aren't they don't follow the same chain of command. They're completely separate. So if a cap, if a regular cap police captain says to an uh, internal affairs officer, "We need you to do this," the officer does not have to listen because they are completely separate. Mm-hmm. And I believe that a ty- that's that judicial system that we have should be the only people who are allowed to say, "Okay, government, you're allowed to access this individual's data for the purpose of." keeping the public safe. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't have somebody sort of holding back the reins of the government, one by one, all of our data is going to get into the hands of the government. I mean, the NSA at one point was notorious for uh, tracking phone calls, listening in conversations, reading emails. And that scared a lot of people because nobody wants their data, their lives to be out in the open like that. Even if you have nothing to hide, it's not a good feeling of being exposed. Yeah, I can, I can 100% agree with that, I think sort of a big question that you get from there, though, is connecting the idea that, like, when you have a uh, you know a court decision, right? Someone, for example, let's say a big company, let's say the government, let's say some big government websites shut down, hacked into, um, and you're trying to track down who exactly did it, and you can't do it purely based off of the hacking itself. You have to do some more, you know, uh, tracking, and some of this might involve having to get warrants. Some of this might have to involve actually getting this information. Um, the difference, I think, between the standard system that was in place for so long in criminal justice and the current system is that before it took time to find a lot of this evidence, mm-hmm. to find a lot of this information. So it made sense that while you're trying to find it, you're getting the warrants for it and you're putting mm-hmm. it all together and it matches. With the internet, something happens, you can just get the info immediately. Exactly. So should you still have to wait to do it? And if you do that, you know, are the lives being lost? Is justice not being served? person gets away? You know, like to what extent mm-hmm. should we be valuing justice? Um, sort of like it's sort of like fairness versus justice in a way. Well, it's clear that the internet has changed lives. Like you said earlier, something happens in uh, Asia, people in the western part of the world hear about it in literally seconds, right? And then that brings into mind: are the current practices we have outdated? But we also have to realize that these current practices, they were they were built to last. I mean, obviously, I doubt that uh, the people who made these laws could have predicted something as huge and as fast as the internet but they were put in place to protect people without due process we become a police state where the individual is downtrodden and they have no say and that is not a, I don't think that's a state that anybody wants to live in people want to be able to own their own uh, houses have their own, uh, have their own private property and data is property and I believe that uh, the current system we have in place, while it may be slower, and like you said, it can, you know, maybe get let criminals get away, and maybe having to wait is what uh, what would cause that, because with all the warrants, we'd have to go through all the red tape. It it can call, it can take a lot of time, but even even with that, 
do you really want to infringe on the personal life? Do you really want to hurt the lives of the innocent in pursuit of the guilty? Because, and that's that's more of a philosophical question than oh, a yeah. technical question. But the whole system of due process, making sure that you know the government doesn't overstep its bounds in finding this one and finding this particular person, is why the system was it's it's what the system was put in place to do. And if we forget that, then our country is just gone. Mm-hmm. There is no there is no freedom anymore. Okay. Okay. Well, that's yeah. I guess that uh, it's it's sort of me. I, I understand the whole thing about um, maintaining freedom over um, and sort of like maintaining freedom and not sort of sacrificing that in favor of justice. And I guess you know it's a difficult thing to really say. It's easy, I guess it's easy to say it, but. Um, sort of like understanding what comes with that can be very difficult. I would think just because, you know, like you were saying, the philosophical question of like, uh, you know, you maybe you're, you're saving people's freedoms, but you're costing other people's lives. You know, it's a give and a toss here. Like people are losing and gaining off of this. And mm-hmm. to say that, you know, this is the right way and this is the wrong way, it's, it's very interesting. I guess sort of the angle that you're taking, though, is I'm, if I want to bring this more into like the philosophical sense, just while we're ending it here is mm-hmm. sort of... Um, Sort of, I don't know if you know philosophy that much. I I got some like very general, not great ideas, but like sort of like the the Kantian idea of like following steadfast rules above uh, above all else and making sure that like everybody has their rights versus more utilitarian, which is sort of like uh, you know rules don't matter, means justify at the end, and trying to just yeah. maximize the amount of saved lives. Um, and both work, and I guess in this situation, it's sort of. I would imagine in both situations you could have, I mean, there's clearly very good arguments for both sides, and it's difficult to say one is right and one is wrong. Exactly. Um, but it's it's a good perspective you have here. The trick is finding the common ground, and the problem is that trick is, I don't think a trick that any country's ever been able to pull off in history, or maybe won't ever pull off. Mm-hmm. Because finding the ground between uh, being utilitarian, you know, we're going, to, we're going to find this person no matter what it takes, and we're going to do it because it'll save lives, or... Or are we going to go, we want to find this person, but if it means destroying and hurting other people in the process, then we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a question that we, we're going to have to ask ourselves. Because it was it was true back in the 17, 18, 1900s, but it's truer now more than ever. Like you said, with the internet changing things, data, information being at our fingertips, it's up to us to decide what country we want to be, what person we want to be, and whether or not we can act, we can find a good place in between to balance the two sides, between pushing forward and finding the person, or protecting the individual freedoms at stake. Well, that's that's a great way to end this here. Really, really like this. I'm glad that we can come to a conclusion where it's not really. I mean, this is what this is what the show is all about. It's about coming to uh, not one kind of conclusion, but understanding the idea that no matter what you came into this episode believing or not believing. Uh, maybe it's a little bit changed, maybe a little more nuanced in understanding the approach that other people can have. Um, you know, you can think that, uh, you know, we're both completely wrong, no idea what we're talking about, think that we're both complete geniuses, right, in every way. It doesn't matter to us what you think about our specific opinions, it's more about challenging you to actually think for yourself and um, sort of understand that every single issue, especially these issues, have a lot more to them than you might think off of just, you know, reading some random article online. So, uh, Drew, thanks for, uh, thanks for being well, here. thank you for having me. No problem, and uh, yeah, that's the end of the episode, guys. Uh, you know, if you want to leave any feedback, I'm gonna try to set up a way to do that because I realized there was no way to do that before. So I'll keep you posted on that. Maybe I'll set up a channel. I'm not really sure, like a YouTube channel, whatever. We'll see. But uh, keep you posted, and uh, you know, another episode 
uploaded next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. A lot of exposure to advanced medias like the interweb. Andrew, I'm sorry to break it to you, but I just started recording, which means and that that's going to be immortalized. Wait, is it? Yes! No! That's